0: Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We're delighted to have you here for worship. Please sign the friendship pad at the end of each queue and pass it to the other people so that we can be aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to speak to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Ron Pollock and he's available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. And please join us for refreshments in the fellowship hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service with the prelude.
1: Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is near. God has sent us a sign. God has invited us to make room in our hearts. When we are too busy, when we are lost, when we are at war with philosophies, enemies, friends, family, or inwardly with ourselves, Peace. when we are sad, Joy. when we are bitter, Love. may we see the signs, read them, but not misread them. Room for the one Let us worship God. Please pray with me. Most High God, we see signs of shaking and change on the earth and in the skies. Chaos and crises, devastation and distress, darkness and death loom around us. But we come together here with faith that conquers fear, faith that you are with us, a very present help today, and our hope for tomorrow. We gather in community to affirm our faith, trusting in the promise of Jesus that redemption is drawing near, that a new day is on the horizon. This is cause for joy and thanksgiving as we worship today. Thank you for your sign of hope. Amen.
2: And there are signs of hope wherever we look, but sometimes we're just an impatient people We don't see it the way we want it right away. But God loves us anyways and comes to us and forgives us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. With that confidence, let us together say this printed prayer of corporate confession. Forgive our impatience, Lord God. Forgive our tendency to take things into our own hands and to look for swift, simple solutions to all our problems. Instead, teach us your slower, subtler, more sensitive approach, taking time, adding love to intelligence, and trusting you, especially in this Advent when we remember how unpredictably, but how triumphantly, you acted to set things straight. Give us patience. Help us trust that in hope, you will come to us in your good time. Amen. In Christ, our redemption draws near. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ Jesus, we are made a new creation. We can begin again to live in faith, to work to rebuild the world God intends, and to speak the truth of God's love and forgiveness. Thanks be to God you
1: several interpretations for the symbolism of the advent wreath the underlying principle is the accumulation of light as an expression of the growing anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ who is seen as the light of the world in christian faith
0: in many churches the candles represent hope peace joy and love other traditions identify candles as the prophet candle the bethlehem candle the shepherd's candle and the angel's candle
2: This year we return some of our traditional roots with a bit of a twist as we engage with art that tells us remember those themes that begin with hope. In worship, we will hear the words of the prophets like Isaiah. The art before us, like the lightning of our wreath, will help us to build week upon week. The traditional parts of the Christmas story will unfold, beginning even this week with the appearance of the star that captured the attention of wise sages to the East East. ancient Palestine.
0: As we light this candle today, we begin to prepare ourselves for the day when God comes to save us. In this we hope, and so this candle reminds us to turn from sin and receive the gift of God's pardon and grace through Jesus Christ. May the light of hope begin to flicker, not only in this candle, but on our faces. Shine that You might be safe.
2: Let us pray. O oh God of hope, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray you to send our light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ's final appearing. Live in us and help us live in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us so that our worship, our celebration, and our time and preparation may be pleasing unto you, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.
1: A reading from Isaiah. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we may teach us. Let us walk in the light of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite the children to join me up here, upstairs. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did. I ate Thanksgiving dinner in Baltimore, Maryland, which was a wonderful place to go. And what was wonderful was the people who were there. Now, I'm going to take this off. I have been wearing a brace because I hurt my wrist, and I was afraid my doctor was going to be in worship today, and he would be upset with me if I wasn't wearing thy wrist brace. Right? It helps my wrist. And we have a couple of things to learn about today, and one is to look over here at the artwork that is being created by Kathy Schwegler. Kathy is our artist in residence, and she is going to be painting. And if you would like to see the work even as it progresses, even after we are together here, if you want to go over to Fellowship Hall, they have everything set up. I'm going to tell you something that most people don't know. If you look up in the ceiling, do you see something in the center that looks like it's shining down this way? That's a camera. And the camera is really on you. You can wave to anybody who's in Fellowship Hall right now. Yeah, they'll like that. And, and you can actually see what's going on in front. And uh, Kathy's going to be painting for us this first Sunday of Advent some of the themes that we'll hear during worship, which are centered around hope. Now, over here is the Advent calendar. And I opened window number one at the early service And I want to show you what piece we found in this window number one. It is a star. And I thought it was kind of unusual to find the star for the first Sunday of Advent. But really the star would have probably shown in the sky. And long before the wise men would have found their way to Jerusalem, they saw the star and knew that it meant something important so, to begin Advent, we take out the star. Now, those of you who have an Advent calendar that you got here, Craig Kunkel, who oversees our educational program, photographed our Advent wreath, uh, our, our, I mean, our, our Advent wreath, but our, our Advent calendar, and he made all of the items that are inside these boxes and stickers, so many of you already have this same Advent calendar at your home. But I want to remind you that we're still in what month? November. November, right. And so, in order to count correctly, we opened day number one. You have to wait until Thursday to open window number two, and then you'll have stickers. You can fill up what's happening on the Advent calendar. So you start with Thursday, which is the second Sunday of December, and that means that you'll get over to the 24th, which is Christmas Eve, when you can open up the last window. Make sense? That's when we'll open up the last one. I think I already know what's in that one. I have a good guess. So this is the beginning of Advent when we remember that God was sending a special gift. The gift of his son Jesus. And it wasn't what people expected. We already know that it was a gift of a baby. They thought it was going to be something else. But it was wonderful. And this season of Advent is a time of waiting and hoping. And we changed colors today. What color do we start with? Purple, right? We know we're in the season of Advent because we now have purple. Let's give thanks to God for this wonderful season. Lord God, we give you thanks for Kathy who is creating art today. We give you thanks that we could listen to Andrew play the trumpet so wonderfully and to announce the beginning of Advent for us and for your message of hope. For our world needs it. Help us to be the kind of people who share hope, too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming up. You can sit with family or you can go over to Fellowship Hall and there'll be people in the back to help you get there. Thank you.
2: And as our young people are heading out into the kingdom, I'd like to invite a different type of young people because they are new members to us to come forward into the chancel as well. Did you know we have 15 new members? They all have lovely white boutonnieres on, and we invite them forward. 15 new members. Now, unfortunately, Archie and Heather Messenger, whom you might have already met. Come on up, come on up, come on up. Array yourselves, lovely, right in front. Don't be shy. Miss Annabelle will get into the kingdom soon, right? Come on up, come on up. Bill, thanks for coming out from the Bible study so that you could be present with us. Jenna and Bill have already been in worship with us at the 8:30 worship service. I want you to see this lovely group of new members. Archie and Heather Messenger, however, were not able to be with us this weekend because they were still enjoying Thanksgiving weekend with family. Some of you might have already met Archie and Heather. Archie is John Messenger's father and Heather is John Messenger's sister. So we're delighted to welcome them as well. Bob and Wendy Vitek also were not able to be with us this weekend because they, too, are still enjoying Thanksgiving weekend with family. But we are delighted that Doug and Kristen Resseter, with their lovely six-year-old six Annabelle, has joined us and a little sister on the way. so nice to have you, knowing that your mom's in the village, Kristen, and that you have created family right here. Congratulations. Randy? Who doesn't know Randy Hunter? (laughs) Has anybody had a chance? You really should. After worship, please go into this sacristy and take a look at his handiwork. He has made for us the most exquisite cabinets so that we can give glory to God on communion Sundays. All of our communion materials are stored in there. Randy, you are a host. You're a tennis player. You're everybody's pharmacist, or was at one point in time, at one point in time. We're delighted to have you make this formal commitment. Jenna Cross, welcome amongst us. We're delighted that you add your smile and your verve and your positivity no matter what life throws at you. Jenna has served in the armed forces, and we're just delighted that you decided to make this commitment to Christ in this time and place. I think you've already gotten a chance to meet Jason and Tracy Lehman as they did a brilliant job lighting the Advent wreath. And as Joey and Libby went off into the kingdom today, what guts they had to stand there and be designed and drawn. Wonderful, and welcome to us. If you hear a little bit of a beautiful southern accent, it's because, yes, they are from Atlanta, Georgia, but they bring to us such great southern hospitality and love. Welcome. Marlise and Barbara, I'm going to use the two of you together. Marlise Whitcomb and Barbara Harper join us. We're just delighted that you've chosen, now that you're living at the Highlands, to be a part of our community of faith here. Marlise has three children, one of whom many of you might have already met, because her daughter, Amy, is one of those who teaches our Zumba classes when we've had them on Saturday mornings. So, Marlise, delighted to have you here. Barbara, you've been worshiping with us for a little longer time than Marlise, and we're delighted to see that you've found your way in Bible studies and other places, giving glory to God. Delighted to have you amongst us. Bill, since you're hiding right there, I'll introduce you as well. Bill Reith, son of Bill Reith, not to be confused with uh, a more mature... Mr. Reith. Delighted to have you. I know that you like being outdoors, that you have these activities that you enjoy, like golfing and being out on your bicycle. You obviously remain active, and we're thankful that you've chosen to be active here with us. Lou and Cindy Becker, you are returning to the area from sunny California, though sometimes with the gloom I wonder why. (laughs) We're delighted that you've made the choice to be amongst us. You bring an oodle of experience to us from being officers in Presbyterian churches wherever you have been. And we're delighted that your daughter has found social work in Manhattan and that you've raised her to be a servant leader, just as the two of you are as well. Welcome to our 15 new members, 11 of whom could be with us today. We have these questions for you. Who is your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in him, do you? And will you promise in prayer and example to follow in the way of Jesus Christ? Will you? Excellent. Congregation, will you agree to support these new members in their pursuit of Christian discipleship? Will you? We will. Most excellent. Don't you love this affirming congregation? (laughs) Friends, as you make this discipleship journey, recognize that we're all on that same journey. None of us reaches perfection The only person who was perfect is already reigning over us, and we remember the the sacrifice and the servant leadership that Jesus Christ exemplifies for us. And so may you enjoy this journey together. Find ways to integrate yourselves and to be appreciated, for Christ appreciates each one of us. Will you pray with me, friends? God in heaven, we do give you thanks for this opportunity to affirm our commitment to you and to welcome these new members in the midst of this congregation. We ask that you would bless each one of us on our journey and help us to know of your faithfulness to us so that when we face our inevitable challenges or stumbles or pitfalls, we might reach up and out to you and to those who are fellow travelers in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in confidence because we pray it in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. Friends, welcome. We hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful Advent. What a delight to have you amongst us. And please feel free to enjoy the rest of our worship service today. Grace and peace. Paul writes to the Romans and to each one of us. I invite you to hear God's word to you. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the, the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Matthew 24. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night... The thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not left his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, choir. I got to rehearse that piece at Lake Murray at the Lake Murray Presbyterian Church, where we were doing some mission work a couple of weeks ago, and they were practicing to sing that exact same anthem today. Only you sang it so much better than that. <laughs> it's true. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you came among us, but not as we expected. We expected power. You came as vulnerability. We expected glory. You came among the poor. We expected the Lord on our terms. You came to transform the world into God's terms. Speak to us once again from the ancient texts of Scripture, that we might know you more completely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A Jewish couple from New York was visiting Jerusalem. And as they waited patiently at the busy intersection for the walk signal, a young man sped across the street against the light. And an elderly gentleman nearby turned and said sadly, 2,000 years, we're waiting for the Messiah, and he can't wait for the light. This is an impatience we understand. This waiting and expectancy, this theme of Advent, a theme for the church, which is challenged by economic realities, which push us to throttle forward to Christmas without examining the preparation for our celebration Of the incarnation. See, Advent is a time for us to ponder the purpose for which Jesus was sent to earth. When we are pushed to celebrate without the preparation, we become a little bit more like the new pastor who responded too quickly about his new call and got his words a little twisted. He said, I have come here to heal the dead, cast out the sick, and raise the devil. But pondering the purpose of Jesus, his coming to earth, is certainly a primary focus of Advent, a time of anticipation and preparation. It gets a little confusing for us when we have scriptures like this lesson from Matthew 24, which say, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. It's a passage that tells us that Jesus will come like a thief in the night on ordinary days when we're going about our routine, an unknown time, even to the angels in heaven. Now, of course, this text is trying to describe that moment when Jesus will return. But his first arrival came to unexpected shepherds, foreign astrologers, a humble carpenter intent on saving the woman he loved from incredible embarrassment. About 20 years ago now, Robert G. Lee, whose book was being reviewed in Christianity Today, imagined headlines for the return of Christ. He said Time magazine would probably read, He's the man of the millennium. He said Field and Stream would have on its cover Fisher of Men Returns. The National Enquirer might say, Christ comes back and he's seen Elvis. And the headline for Atheist Monthly would read simply, Oops. I think that's my favorite. Oops. I didn't know. Oops, I forgot. Oops, I thought you were kidding. Oops, I made other plans. Robert Tannehill, prominent biblical exegete, says that we miss the impact of Matthew 24 in the English translation. He said it would read more like this. In the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept over them. So will be the day of the coming of the Son of Man. He writes, if we were to drone on with these words, reading them orally, in the Greek, they would become so sing-songy, so repetitious, so boring, like the daily rounds of our activity. They are the gray music elevator sounds that never cease. We're asleep in ordinary activity, a crisis hits. It is during the redundant and the routine that the Son of Man is revealed. What are we to do at such a time as ours? Maybe more importantly, what is God doing? at a time like ours. According to the Bible passage for today, that's what some people will be saying. They'll basically be saying, whoops. And they will read verses 40 and 41. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other will be left. And this last image of Jesus is particularly vivid. A handmill was a large grinding stone. Big handle. It usually required two women to turn the handle. The women would be sitting on the ground. They would have their hands wrapped around the mill handle. They would be close enough to feel each other's breath. Their hands would overlap. And suddenly, according to the picture which Jesus gives, one woman would disappear. And the other would be left. Now, some of you may be among the millions of fans of a series of novels by Tim LaHaye that are based on this understanding of the last days. You can learn about them at leftbehind.com. I've discovered that you can say just about anything and put .com after it. You can find it. That website will tell you that there were 63 million copies of the books that have been sold. According to this theology, the worst thing that could happen would be to be left behind when Christ comes. Most theologians have some difficulty with this morning's scripture passage. They kind of feel it reflects the cosmology of a pre-scientific world. It presumes a three-story universe with the earth in the middle and heaven just above the clouds and hell down below. If that's the case, we should be very careful with which rockets we shoot into space. This is not a literal text. And this same theme of God's salvation breaking in on us in an unexpected time is in the writings of Paul that carry read. You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became Believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. And Paul also says in this passage, let us conduct ourselves becomingly, not reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and in jealousy. Here he makes a rather conventional assault upon life among the inhabitants of fraternity Row. He is clear that the main reason he is down on alcohol abuse and immorality is that if we know the time and what time it is, we would wake up a little and get with it and be ready for God to break into our burglar-alarmed homes and steal everything we've worked so feverishly to accumulate. A quote from the last century provides the essence of this when it describes the worldly person by saying, he knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. The world's motive is profit. The Christian's dynamic is the desire to serve. Both Paul and Jesus are saying that we are too much on the trail of trivial pursuit And we need to be alert to the most important business of God's intention. But we muse in the Old Testament to every purpose under heaven, there is indeed a season, a time for every process in every body, a time to be born. 4 a.m. is the most common hour for humans, I'm convinced of it. We all live two lives, in one we are conscious in mind and active in body, We work, play, eat, talk, travel, read, busy ourselves with tasks. The other, about one-third of our time, is spent behind closed lids. Sleep, a beautiful part of our heritage. And since sleep is a dominant behavior, it is a wonder that we have not until rather recently taken such a serious look about it. Since the late 1990s, there have been about 600 articles and books published every year on sleep. I rather loathe the sound of Jimmy's voice in the commercial to sell Zipa. If you haven't heard him, oh, you will recognize it. My problem is not so much with getting sleep as it is getting up. I kind of stumble out of bed and head for the bathroom. I return to the bedroom. I sort of meet my other self, headed for the bathroom to shave. This is a very dangerous time for anyone to be wielding a razor. At one time, I used to meet with a group of men for breakfast and Bible study at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings at the Holiday Inn in Lionville, Pennsylvania did that for about 12 years. In an effort to be sensitive to Martha, who had not yet arisen, I would set my watch. Now, this was a watch with an alarm, and somehow the thing worked very well when it was set to the 24-hour setting of the clock. But it didn't do as well at the 12-hour setting. I don't know what happened, but the thing didn't work quite right, and I arrived one Wednesday woefully late to breakfast, just as they were finishing. These rotten guys decided to fix my wagon. They resurrected their own bodies extra early the next Wednesday, and stealthily they all gathered outside my home, and they prepared to make sure that I was going to be awake. They were armed with a handy Andy children's alarm clock, which played this little tune mechanically, with a message to wake up. And they had learned the tune, and they all sang it. Now, if you'll permit me to flip the mattress over, some people get too much sleep. Sleep drunkenness, it's called. They stay in bed way too long. Paul, in this week's epistle, seems to be speaking about sleep drunks. In fact, he mentions drunkenness a few verses after he issues the wake-up call in Romans. You know what hour it is, how it is full time for you to now wake up from sleep. The night's far gone, the day is at hand. Let's cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let's conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not reveling in our drunkenness. The Christian has something better for which to live and Just to spend our time in ease and sleep and self indulgence. The life of faith and Christian engagement is like rising eagerly from sleep to greet a new day. Paul wants his readers to recognize that the second advent of Christ will occur at any time and that proper preparation for it is not lethargy, it is spiritual fitness. This is the message of Advent, that we get ourselves into spiritual shape for the meaning of the first Advent that we're about to celebrate. Christians living in the first century, particularly during the time of Rome's strength, were admonished to remove their involvement in the excesses of contemporary Roman life, which seemed to manifest itself with drunkenness and morality ill-discipline, capitulation to the basic instincts of a sinful nature and to do something more. we put too much of this off. We're told to wake up and become more with it. Now the tidings of this New Testament today are about this waking up and watchfulness, but the thrust of the Old Testament lesson concerns itself with peace, such a powerful word, charged with universal longing for harmony on earth. The psalmist pleads, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, security within your towers. Peace be with you. This is the theme lifted from the Psalms by Isaiah. The promise of peace comes from this prophet in the familiar image of people beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And the time is coming, he promises, when nation shall not lift up war against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. This is a message of hope. How I wish we were there. How we desire to live up to the promises of peace. Where hope thrusts us. But how? I think we begin with ourselves. That's where peace must always start. That's where the world will find its hope. long time ago I was at a conference with a man sitting next to me who was an East German citizen or he at least had been. He had given up some of his East German roots now and became a German but he was still tied to his old country. He was a pastor. Reinhard was a pastor of the Evangelical Reformed Church of East Germany. Our private conversation was stimulating. Reinhardt said, you in America, you hold up freedom as the highest value for your society while we revere justice. I thought about that for a while. Inwardly, I disagreed with Reinhardt. I concluded that people would not have risked their lives to go over the wall from East Berlin if they believed that everything there was just. But justice to Reinhardt meant that all would be paid about the same wage, all would be required to work, the state would guarantee work for each person. In his eyes, he saw the United States as a society where freedom reigned supreme and where the differences and opportunities between those who had and those who had not was a vast gulf. But there was one very special moment for Reinhardt and for me. Something that neither one of us had experienced before. The conference was to end With the service of communion. Now, part of my personal history is connected for a brief while to Barry Black. When I first met Barry, he was Captain Black. Captain Black is black. He smoked a pipe, and the tobacco he used was Captain Black. Captain Black, smoked Captain Black, was a black chaplain at the U.S. Naval Academy. We had classes together, and he was a Seventh-day Adventist. So one day he said, Bruce, I know you won't be busy on Saturday evening, because you'll be preaching on Sunday morning. Why don't you come with me to my church, a Seventh-day Adventist church? So I went. They had a tradition in this church. They were to wash one another's feet. If you had something against someone else in the congregation, you were to go to them, offer to wash their feet, and ask them to forgive you. And then reconciled, you could come to the Lord's table. Well, this feet washing went on for a little while. I thought it was about to conclude When Barry Black picked up a basin of water and a towel and he walked over to me, the only Anglo in the room, and asked me to take off my shoes, which I did. And Barry said to me, you represent for me everything I hate about white people. Will you please forgive me? And he washed my feet, and I washed his. That was my experience. That was a part of my background. You might know Barry Black now. He's now Admiral Black, by the way. And he is the chaplain of the United States Senate. Every time the United States Senate meets, he opens the meetings with prayer. So I shared my story about um, Captain Black with Reinhardt. It was earlier in the week. Well, before the final worship service, Reinhardt and I were in the men's room. And it wasn't all that big. And Reinhardt asked me, Bruce, do you think we'll be able to come to the table together? Without exchanging a single word, we removed each other's shoes and we lost our balance And we destroyed a couple of paper towels. And if the truth were really known, came close to destroying the paper towel dispenser as well. And in that men's room, we washed each other's feet. And we swapped our prejudices. We sought mutual forgiveness. And we prepared ourselves for a spiritual event that would take place we had awakened that if we were to be people of hope, this is where our relationship needed to be focused. And after the conference worship, Reinhardt and I embraced, and he said in my ear, this is the only place where hope for our world can be found. Maybe we have to let go of these trivial matters. And I said, yes, Reinhardt. Our unity in Christ transcends all. He has the power to forgive me and the power to forgive you and to see each other as brothers The other people who were looking at us didn't know what was happening, but we did. Reinhardt is right. If hope for a new world order is to be found, it will be uncovered at the manger and at the cross and at this table as we come and sit around it. It will happen there long before it will be seen in our cultural identity. When we make peace with God and with ourselves and with each other, hope emerges and love has a chance. As we bring our offerings and ourselves to God, we can use this prayer. God of grace, through prophets long ago, you promised a day when all on earth shall see your justice and righteousness. In spite of present appearances, we trust that redemption is drawing near. With this offering, we express gratitude for your undeserved love and goodness. And we commit to raising our heads to watch for that will be fulfillment of your promise in Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) you <laughs>
2: Have you all had a chance to see it? Wow, huh? Okay, you can be seated. I just wanted to make certain you could all see it. Wow. We give thanks and praise for the artistry of so many. For the words spoken and drawn and sung and trumpeted, we give thanks and praise. We also give thanks and praise for upcoming birthdays. So, Alan Reeve, may you have a glorious celebration. Yes, your wife told me. Sorry. (laughs) And we also give thanks and praise for the many celebrations that happen in different stages and ages of our life. This weekend, Len Parker and Rachel August traveled to be with his mom's family as you remembered her beautiful life. And the same thing happened for the Peterson family as Jane's mom was remembered yesterday. And so to the Currys, we are sorry that Gordon has joined God in the kingdom, not because it's a bad thing to be in the kingdom, but because we'll miss him. And so we, we are all recognizant of time and God's grace as God covers all of time with hope, peace, joy, and love. Friends, please join me in prayer. Our eyes behold your grandeur, O God. Our feet stand within the gates of your house. Prophets have sung of your mountain, where nations shall come to learn of your ways. From out of Zion your law has gone forth, out of Jerusalem has preceded your word. Confessing you to be our judge and redeemer, we gather to give you honor and praise. As Advent dawns, lead us from this courtyard of praise into paths filled with promise. Brighten our way and help us to step out boldly in your love without the distraction of trivial pursuits. When we venture into places that are hostile or strange, steady our nerves by your spirit of truth and power. Go with us as we share with others the Advent hope. Fill us with eagerness that waits for the dawn curiosity that is willing to explore all truth, and impatience with injustice that refuses to leave until the tasks of liberation are complete. Come, Prince of Peace, in whose name we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
1: What a glorious way to begin Advent today. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Some of you might want to stick around for the postlude because Andrew's going to play the trumpet and Bruce Frank is going to play and accompany him. It's going to be glorious. And I'm grateful to Kathy for creating this image for us that helps remind us of God's hope. And all of you, for just a moment, um, I'd like to watch you smile for a second. Could you do that for me? Yes, that's very nice. You look so much better that way. And and when you go out and you smile as you walk around through Pittsburgh, and people want to know what's up, you just say, "Well, I was at worship at First Presbyterian Church this morning. It is glorious." You smile, and the world senses hope, and the world needs it. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us always. Amen.